The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, it's a joy to be able to do this with you one last time this morning. If you happen to have a Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is our text. Hebrews chapter 11 is our text this morning. It's good to be with church this morning, church family this morning. Grateful to see all of you. Grateful those of you who are online and watching wherever you may be this morning. And it's grateful to see many familiar faces today. Yesterday, our family uh, took a drive down to one of our favorite places in all of Los Angeles. And on the drive down, we had this moment where we just talked about some of the memorable things over the last six years here in Los Angeles. And having three kids under the age of 11, you never know how long or how well that conversation is going to go, but it went well. And it was a long conversation. And we talked about people and places and experiences that we've had over the last six years. Many of them involved some of you. In fact, as I was walking around to get ready to walk up here this morning, one of you who was literally one of the first to come to something we did at Story City in February 2015 is here this morning. And then my next door neighbor, Ian, is somewhere here this morning, one of the first to ever do and be a part of what we were doing here. So many things that we remember and so many great experiences. I think when you come to the end of a season, like we've come to, one of the important questions that needs to be asked is the question, was it worth it? I think it's an important question to ask. It's often a question that we don't like to ask, but it's a necessary introspection. Was it worth it? When you spend all that money on a vacation, you get to the end of it and you say, was it worth it? When you bought the new car rather than the used car, you ask, was it worth it? When you moved to that new city, was it worth it? When you spent six years in that place, was it worth it? I think the question is relevant because regret is a relevant issue in all of our lives. Would you agree this morning? No one wants to think that their life is on a journey to nowhere or that journey that you're on doesn't accomplish the things that you had hoped that the journey was going to accomplish. But the reality is the journey to nowhere is all around us, isn't it? Maybe your job seems to be going nowhere this morning. Maybe your relationships seem to be going Nowhere. Maybe your finances seem to be going nowhere, at least in the opposite direction, especially in this season. Here's what I know. The journey to nowhere is filled with a lot of emotion, disappointment and sadness, frustration, anger, loneliness. Maybe that's why the question, was it worth it, is such a painful question to ask. When you give so much of your life to something, you want to know, was it worth it? So as our family comes to the end of the season that God has had us in for the last six years, a painful and necessary question I've been asking myself is, was it worth it? Maybe you and I are very similar in personality. One of my greatest fears is failure. What if, it just doesn't, what if this doesn't work out, God? What if this doesn't go the way that I had planned, God? What if I trust God with everything and it goes terribly wrong. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 has been a passage. It's always been intriguing to me as a pastor. In Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of it, you have a list of what the world would consider failures. It's a group of people 
whose lives ended without some sort of momentous victory, some obvious occasion where you look at their life and you look over the totality of their life and you say, well, that was worth it. And so everybody who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 never actually received what they had been convinced of while they were still alive. It's an intriguing passage to me. And some of you here in Los Angeles, maybe other places around the country, around the world, wherever you're watching from today, maybe you're on the brink of what you consider to be failure. You came here for something, but it never came to fruition. Maybe some of you are on the brink of relational chaos. Maybe some of you have friends who are married. Maybe you have friends with kids while you've been pursuing a career and waiting for that special someone to spend the rest of your life with. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn to, turn it on. to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to preach a message this morning titled, It Was Well Worth It. It Was Well Worth It. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. The scripture says this, By faith, Abraham, when called, if you have a Bible physically and you want to write in it, I encourage you to underline faith, and I encourage you to underline the word called. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went, and even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And the end of verse 9 says, he lived in tents as did Jacob and Isaac, who were heirs with him of the same promise. The entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 centers on this theological concept, this practical reality for every believer. And that reality is called faith. In fact, if my math is right. We see the word faith 24 times in Hebrews chapter 11 alone. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 sort of defines for us what faith is. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. The scripture says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Chapter 11 is all about faith. It's going to describe for us 16 different people and a whole host of people that we don't even know the names of, of people who place their hope and their trust in something they could not see. Now listen to me. The hope and trust that they placed was ultimately in God himself. It was ultimately in the promise of Jesus. Everybody who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 would never see with their own eyes the thing that they hoped for. Verse 8 is the key to the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. Because, Hebrew, uh, because Abraham trusted God with his life. He trusted God with all of his life. He trusted God with every bit of his life. Because he trusted God with his life, the scripture says he listened to God. And because he listened to God, the natural implication was that when he heard from God, he would obey. There may be times in your life, 
There may be times in your life when you feel like you're going nowhere, but it's an important question to ask. Are you feeling like you're going nowhere because you, maybe you haven't asked God for directions? The thrust of Hebrews chapter 11, the thrust of this text here is that Abraham believed God and that he obeyed what God told him. So the context here is that in Genesis chapter 11, the very end of Genesis chapter 11, there's a story of Abraham and his family. It's actually the story of Abraham's father, whose name was Terah. And the end of Genesis 11 says, Terah settled his family in Haran. And the scripture says, Abraham's father, whose name was Terah, died in Haran. But Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, the very next sentence, the very next verse, after Abraham's father died, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God told Abraham to pack up your family and go. God said, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to give you. And so Abraham believed and he obeyed what God told him. God told him to take his family and go, even though Abraham had no clue where he was going. The only instructions that Abraham gets in Genesis chapter 12 is that you need to pack up and you need to start moving towards the land that God's going to give you and your family and God's going to use that land and he's going to bless it, the entire earth because of you. And so Abraham goes. He goes to a land that's generally referred to as Canaan. It's inhabited by a group of people that are generally known as the Canaanites. The reality is there were multiple ethnicities that were grouped into this idea of the Canaanites. And so Abraham goes to Canaan, a land inhabited by the Canaanites, and they inhabited the land. The Canaanites did the entirety of Abraham's life. Now listen to the reality of this. Abraham packs up his family. He moves to a place that God had promised to him, but Abraham never actually sees the fruition of God's promise to him in his lifetime. He never actually saw it. Abraham lived the rest of his life on earth as an outsider, as a foreigner in a foreign land. Here's the record of Abraham's life. The reality is that Abraham died believing the promises of God, but he never actually saw them come to pass. Let's just stop for a moment and make a very important point. The only way to find purpose in your life is to give Jesus all that you have. Abraham gave God every bit of his life. He listened to God. He obeyed God. And I would say the same thing for you this morning. The only way to find purpose in your life is to give God everything that you have in your life. You notice Abraham didn't come up with this idea of moving to Canaan on his own. It wasn't Abraham's idea that I'm going to move to Canaan. This wasn't a dream that Abraham had. Abraham is following God's call. God's call was primary, and Abraham is just responding to what God said. I'm going to ask you this morning, does God still call people to do common and ordinary things? Does God still call people to do life-altering things? The answer to that question is yes, he does. That may not make sense to everybody who's here today or listening online today, but God specifically called Abraham to do something specific. 
And when we're listening to God and when we're pursuing God consistently and drawing near to God in intimacy, now hear me, God may say the same thing to you. And when God says that thing or those things, the response to what God says is called faith. And Hebrews 11 tells us that genuine faith obeys God, even when we don't know the implications even when we cannot see how it's all going to play out. But when we give Jesus everything that we have, it implies that we're trusting in something that we can't see, but we put our hope and we put our belief in. Abraham had no clear picture of the future when he trusted God and he started moving. Now listen to this. This is fascinating because three verses later, after God tells Abraham to go, just three sentences later, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Abraham went forth. Abraham didn't have a home waiting on him in Canaan. Abraham didn't know the culture of the promised land. He didn't know the climate. He didn't know how his family would fare. The Bible calls that faith. It's confidence in what we hope for Assurance in something we cannot see. In 2013, we, we genuinely believed with all of our hearts that God was stirring something in our lives. We were happy and we were satisfied, but eight months into praying and talking with mentors and reading the Bible, we very clearly believed that God was moving us to plant a church in a city that we had only visited three days in our entire life. In my mind, when God began to call us to Los Angeles, in my mind, we would be here 30 years. It was a move that we had committed our family to for the rest of our life. I didn't have a clue at the time what God would do. I, I didn't know if God would do anything, but in my mind, I want to tell you what I saw. In my mind, I saw a church that planted hundreds of churches. In my mind, I saw thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. In my mind, I saw people raised up to plant other churches. And here we are six years later, and God has done some wonderful things. We're two churches. We've supported other churches being planted. We've sent out and will be sending out people to serve churches and possibly plant churches. But can I be honest with you today? The picture in my mind has not been fully realized yet. And what's even more than that, I, I won't be here to lead it if it does and when it does. And here's the hard part for us as we process this whole thing. I can see it happening. I can see a day when all of those things would come to fruition, but I won't be here to see it through. Abraham was promised by God a land that he would give to his family. God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation. God promised Abraham that his name would be great. God promised Abraham and this nation that they would bless the entire world. But now look me in the eyes this morning. But Abraham never saw it. He never fully realized it. Abraham lived in tents with his family as a stranger in a foreign land the entire world rest of his life. Maybe some of you are at the same point in life. 
Maybe you've trusted God with a move to a city like Los Angeles. Maybe at some point in your life, you're going to come to the same place and maybe you'll ask the same questions. God, what was this all about? (laughs) I just spent six years of my life doing this. It didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. God, I've got friends that are way ahead in life. And had I not done this, I'd be even further ahead in life. God, how was this worth it? May I try to explain to you this morning how Abraham and Sarah reconciled their experience with their expectation and how we can make sense of times like this as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Listen to what, how Abraham and Sarah are described. For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And here it is again. By faith, even Sarah, who was way past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. Why? Because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. You see, Abraham had his eyes set on something that he could not physically see, but that he had hoped in. Abraham and Sarah could lay in their tent at night and look through the opening and see the the lights of heaven, even though they could not see the lights of the city that they had been hoping for and the lights of the city that they had been promised. The reality is Abraham and Sarah didn't have their eyes set on the promise. Abraham and Sarah had their eyes set on the one who made the promise. By faith, may I ask you this morning, can you see the city that God is building brighter than the city and the dreams and the hopes that are right in front of you? This type of life requires Faith, a faith that requires a confidence in a God that you cannot see and promises you cannot always feel and experiences that are not always going to be pleasurable. And listen to me, in this city, it could be no more relevant than in this place and hopes that may not always be realized. Listen to me, church, this morning. If you require earthly validation of your faith, you may not make it. And how you respond to disappointment and tragedy and unmet expectations reveals how much and whether you actually believe the journey with Jesus is worth it. A life of faith may not always make sense if all we can see is what life is going to give us and what our faith will give us. In seminary, I had a professor who would quote often a man by the name of William Carey. William Carey was a British missionary and he challenged churches and he challenged people to give their life to the cause of the gospel. William Carey himself eventually left England to go serve people with the gospel in India at a time when when foreign missions was, was an exceptional thing. And William Carey made a quote that I've always loved. It's always inspired me. And William Carey said, Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect 
great things from God. I've always expected God to do great things. I've personally desired for God to do great things in my life. I fully expected that here in Los Angeles. You know that many churches and many church plants never make it beyond three to five years. I know that's not our story here at Story City Church. The church is doing well. I believe the future is greater than our past. But it's not all that I had imagined. Not yet. I hadn't imagined leaving before I saw it. But now, would you listen to me, church? But the ultimate point in trusting God and following God here to Los Angeles was never to see a large church. It was never to see hundreds of churches planted. It was never to see thousands of people come to faith in Christ. It was never to see many people raised up to plant other churches. I'm not downplaying the local church. I'm not downplaying the fruit of the local church. It's still God's vehicle for mission in this world. But listen to me. The ultimate point in following God is not to get all of those things. The ultimate point in following God is not to get the realization of all of your hopes and dreams. The ultimate point in following God is to get more of Jesus, to be more intimate with Jesus, to know more of Jesus than you ever have before. I talk with church planters quite often whose churches are failing. They're on the brink of closing. And every church planter who's in that situation, there's always disappointment that follows. But I say to them that if you trusted God with what he said, you can never see what's happened as failure. If you experienced greater intimacy in your life with Jesus, you succeeded. You won. You accomplished And it's true for you today as well. If you're waiting on God to fulfill a dream and a hope and a desire, I want to say to you today, if you're trusting Jesus and you're experiencing more intimacy with Jesus, may I say to you, the journey with Jesus is worth it. Would you just look at me real quick? The journey with Jesus is worth it. Even when it doesn't go the way you imagined even when it seems like it may be going nowhere, even when you want to give up and give in, even when it's hard and it's painful. Most of you have most of your life in front of you. Some of you, most of your life is coming to the end, but for the vast majority of you, even here today, many of you watching online, the vast majority of you have your life in front of you before you have to give an account of what you did with your life before God. And some of you are probably still deciding what things in life are a priority. Is my career a priority? Is my relationship the priority? Is my reputation the priority? What is the purpose of my life? And I would believe some of us are still uncertain whether living a life for Jesus in all of those things is the most advantageous thing and the most beneficial thing for our lives. So what would Jesus say to those of us who are in that stage of life today? Well, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He goes on to say, and he tells a parable, he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger barns. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus says, so the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So here's my prayer for you, church. My prayer for you, church, is that you live life with an open heart to God, open hands to other people in such a way that maybe those who don't even know Christ, maybe those in your own family look at you and they say to you, why would you waste your life? God looks at you and he says, it was well worth it. I pray that you see the worth of the journey with Jesus, that you don't quit. That failure doesn't do you in, that distraction doesn't lure you away from Jesus. Nobody ever laid on their deathbed and their material possessions comforted them. I believe with all of my heart that you'll never lose anything that you fully give to God. Nothing done for God will ever end in disappointment. May I say to you this morning, it was always and will always be well worth it. C.T. Studd, a missionary to China, he was a founder of the Heart of Africa mission, once said in a poem, a very famous poem, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. One of the last pictures I have of my father and I together before he passed away in 1999 was a picture of him in a tuxedo. I was in a, a suit and we were at a wedding together that my dad was performing. And so we married that day a man by the name of Phil and his wife, Lucy. Phil and uh, Lucy uh, were both in their 50s when they met each other. They had never been married. Quite honestly, they, they never really had the prospect of being married, but both loved Jesus intimately. They were never dissatisfied with their life. They were an encouragement to me because their trust was always in Jesus, but they had this desire to be married. And so my dad, who was the mechanic, the mechanic for both of them, eventually introduced them to each other. He set them up on a date. I don't know how many dates they had been on in their life, but I imagine they had not been on many. But I, I believe that they probably had dreamed of those moments. They thought about what they would say. They thought about how they would act. And a few months after my dad introduced Phil and Lucy to each other, Phil asked Lucy to marry him. And so my dad, several months into a terminal diagnosis of cancer, performed the wedding. Several years later, after they'd been married, my father had passed. They, they realized that they could not have kids of their own. And so they adopted a boy from Honduras, of which they eventually named after my father. And that boy and that marriage were both things that they had been hoping for 
And all along the way, there are obstacles to realizing them. But they're an encouragement to me today, even as I think of them, because ultimately they trusted Jesus, even if they never happened. Reminds me that there are so many moments in our life, in the Christian life especially, when we've got the opportunity to opt out of God's plan. And we roll through these questions and we say, I'm not certain. I'm not sure that God's way is worth it. I'm not sure God's plan for marriage was worth it. I'm not sure God's calling on my life is worth it. I'm not certain that God's way of relationships is worth it. And every single one of us has to come face to face with circumstances in life and problems and challenges and difficulties and obstacles. We have to figure out whether or not we're going to persevere through those things in faith. And the Bible promises us that when we persevere through them by faith, God is preparing something for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so if we believe in Jesus and we continue to trust in him, the Bible says we'll never be put to shame. No one ever gets to heaven and say, oh my gosh, well, this is kind of disappointing. Is this all that I get for everything that I went through? I believe on the day that we stand before Jesus, the sight of Jesus' face will more than compensate a million times over for every pain and every heartbreak and every unfulfilled desire that we're walking through now. Church, may I say to you, if you continue the journey with Jesus, you won't be disappointed. Keep believing in Jesus. Keep hoping in Jesus. Keep clinging to Jesus. Keep abiding in Jesus. Don't give up. No matter how bad the pain gets, you won't be put to shame. That's the promise of Jesus. Keep rejoicing. Keep giving thanks to God in all things. I believe there is a reward and there's joy set before us that we can only imagine. Will you be like Abraham today and walk with God? Even when it makes no sense, even when you don't see results? The great reformer Martin Luther said, faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you ever joyful and bold in your relationship to God and to everyone else. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone. You serve everyone and suffer all kinds of things, never ceasing to love and to praise and to rejoice in the God who's shown you grace. In Cairo, Egypt, there's a small dusty grave in an out-of-the-way location. I've never seen it personally. I've been told that you would never in a million years think that the grave would be there. It's overgrown. Grass has overgrown it. And in that grave lies the body of William Borden, the heir of the Borden Milk Company. 
He graduated from Yale in 1909. He had a life of luxury, a life of power laid out before him. Borden is still a big company today, but back then it was one of the largest companies in America. And Borden became a Christian as a teenager. And he told his parents that he was going to give his life to, to taking the gospel to Muslims in Egypt. And so Borden refused to buy a car. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. And after only four months of doing missions and taking the gospel to Muslims in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. He died at the age of 25 on a ship en route for medical care. Someone asked him right before he died what he thought about the decisions that he had made in life, and he simply said, no regrets. On his tombstone, there is an inscription about his sacrifice for the kingdom of God and his ministry to Muslim people, and that description is followed by a very simple phrase that says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Church, our season together has come to an end. And it's been an unspeakable joy in ways that I can never describe in just one sermon. And even though we haven't yet seen all that I pictured we could see, it was well worth it. It was well worth it. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone whose name is Jesus. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, you've been an unspeakably good and kind and gracious to us. And gracious and good and kind to your church. God, with all of my heart, with every bit of authenticity, I believe the best days are ahead. I believe that for our church. I believe it for people sitting here. I believe it for people who are watching online. Jesus, today, we acknowledge that the journey with you is well worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.